Lesson 4 for January 18-24 to From Furnace to Palace Read by Dr Percy Harold Sabbath afternoon, January 18 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Daniel because it shows us so much about who you are and and how much we need to not only just revere you, but depend on you. And as we, this week, look at what happens with Daniel in very special circumstances, we pray that your Spirit will be here to guide us. May your word show us not only your salvation, but your grace and your care for us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. Let's read that again, Daniel chapter 3 verse 17. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. In the book In Heavenly Places, page 149, we read, Thus these youth, imbued with the Holy Spirit, declare to the whole nation their faith, that he whom they worshipped is the only true and living God. This demonstration of their own faith was the most eloquent presentation of their principles. In order to impress idolaters with the power and greatness of the living God, his servants must reveal their own reverence for God. They must make it manifest that he is the only object of their honour and worship, and that no consideration, not even the preservation of life itself, can induce them to make the least concession to idolatry. These lessons have a direct and vital bearing upon our experience in these last days. End of quote. While facing the threat of death because of the issue of worship might seem a thing of some pre-scientific and superstitious age, Scripture reveals that at the end of time, when the world has greatly advanced, something similar will unfold, but on a worldwide scale. Thus, from the study of this story, we get insights into the issues that, according to Scripture, God's faithful will face. Sunday, January 19, The Golden Image Question, read Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. What likely motivates the king to make this statue? Daniel 3, beginning at verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was sixty cubits and its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Jura, in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces, to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image, which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some time elapsed between the dream and the construction of the image. Nonetheless, it seems that the king can no longer forget the dream and the fact that Babylon is doomed to be replaced by other powers. Not satisfied with being only the head of gold, the king wants to be represented by an entire image of gold in order to communicate to his subjects that his kingdom will endure throughout history. This attitude of pride calls to mind the builders of the Tower of Babel, who, in their arrogance, attempt to challenge God himself. No less arrogant is Nebuchadnezzar here. He has accomplished much as ruler of Babylon, and he cannot live with the idea that his kingdom will eventually pass away. Thus, in an effort at his own self-exaltation, he builds an image to evoke his power and thereby assess the loyalty of his subjects. Although it may not be clear whether the image is intended to represent the king or a deity, we should keep in mind that in antiquity the lines separating politics from religion were often blurred, if they existed at all. We should remember, too, that Nebuchadnezzar has had two opportunities to get acquainted with the true God. First, he tests the young Hebrews and finds them ten times wiser than the other sages of Babylon. Then, after all other experts have failed to remind him of his dream, Daniel reports to him the thoughts of his mind, the dream, and its interpretation. Finally, the king recognizes the superiority of the God of Daniel. But surprisingly enough, those previous theology lessons do not prevent Nebuchadnezzar from reverting to idolatry. Why? Most likely pride. Sinful human beings resist acknowledging the fact that their material and intellectual accomplishments are vanity and are doomed to disappear. We may at times act like little Nebuchadnezzars, as we pay too much attention to our accomplishments and forget how meaningless they can be in the face of eternity. So to finish today, how can we learn not to fall, even in very subtle ways, into the same trap that Nebuchadnezzar does? Monday, January 20, The Call to Worship
Question, read Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 to 11, and Revelation 13, 11 to 18. What parallels can we see between what happens in Daniel's time and what will happen in the future? Daniel 3, beginning at verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And Revelation 13, beginning at verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, who had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men." And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he has granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six hundred and sixty-six. The image of the gold standing in the plain of Jura, whose name is Akkadian, means walled place, gives the impression of a vast sanctuary. As if it were not enough, the furnace nearby can well evoke an altar. Babylonian music is to be part of the liturgy. Seven types of musical instruments are listed, as if to convey the completeness and effectiveness of the adoration protocol. Today, we are bombarded from every side by calls to adopt new lifestyles, new ideologies, and to abandon our commitment to the authority of God as expressed in His Word 
and to surrender our allegiance to contemporary successes of the Babylonian Empire. The allure of the world at times seems overwhelming. But we should remind ourselves that our ultimate allegiance belongs to the Creator God. According to the prophetic calendar, we are living in the last days of Earth's history. Revelation 13 announces that the inhabitants of the earth will be called to worship the image of the beast. That entity will cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Revelation 13 verse 16. Six categories of people are said to give allegiance to the image of the beast. Small and great, rich and poor, free and slave. The number of the beast, which is 666, also emphasizes six. This shows that the image erected by Nebuchadnezzar is just an illustration of what the eschatological Babylon will do in the last days. It says here, look at Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1 for the imagery of 6 and 60. Daniel 3 verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Therefore, we do well to pay close attention to what transpires in this narrative and how God sovereignly directs the affairs of the world. So to finish today, worship isn't just bowing down before something or someone and openly professing ultimate allegiance. What are other ways, much more subtle ways, that we can end up worshipping something other than our Lord. Tuesday, January 21, The Test of Fire for the three Hebrews, the image worship imposed by the king is a blatant counterfeit of the temple worship in Jerusalem, which they experienced in their earlier years. Although they held offices in the empire and are loyal to the king, their allegiance to God sets a limit on their human loyalty. They are certainly willing to continue to serve the king as faithful administrators. However, they cannot join the ceremony. Question, read Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 to 6 and Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. What do these texts convey that surely influence the stand these men took? Exodus 20 beginning at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Here O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Following the instructions issued by the king, all the people at the sound of the musical instruments bow and worship the golden image. Only the three, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, dare to disobey the king. Immediately, some Babylonians bring the matter to the king's attention. The accusers seek to enrage the king by saying, 1. It was the king himself who put these three young men over the province of Babylon. 2. The Jewish men do not serve the gods of the king. And 3. They do not worship the gold image that the king has set up. As we read in Daniel 3 verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. But in spite of his fury against them, the king offers the three men a second chance. The king is willing to repeat the whole procedure so that these men can retract their position and worship the image. Should they refuse, they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar closes his appeal with a most arrogant claim in verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Endowed with supernatural courage, they respond to the king in verses 17 and 18. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But, if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So to finish the day, Though they know their God can deliver them, they do not have the guarantee that he will. Nevertheless, they refuse to obey the king's command, even knowing that they could be burned alive. Where do we get that kind of faith? Wednesday, January 22, The Fourth Man Question, read Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 to 27. What happens? Who is the other person in the fire? Daniel 3, beginning at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valour who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because of the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? 
They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counsellors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Having thrown the faithful Hebrews into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar is puzzled to perceive the presence of a fourth person inside the furnace. To the best of his knowledge, the king identifies the fourth figure as the Son of God in verse 25. The king cannot say much more, but we do know who that fourth person is. He appears to Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, wrestles with Jacob beside the brook Jaboth, and reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. He is Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate form, coming to show that God stands with his people in their troubles. Alan White says in Prophets and Kings, page 508 and 509, But the Lord did not forget his own. As his witnesses were cast into the furnace, the Saviour revealed himself to them in person, and together they walked in the midst of the fire. In the presence of the Lord, of heat and cold, the flames lost their power to consume. End of quote. As God says in Isaiah 43, verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Though we love stories like this, they do raise the question about others who are not miraculously delivered from persecution for their faith. Those men surely knew the experience of Isaiah and Zechariah, who were put to death by impious kings. All through sacred history, even to our day, faithful Christians have endured terrible suffering that ended for them, at least here, not in the miraculous deliverance, but in a painful death. Here is one case in which the faithful receive a miraculous deliverance, but as we know, such things don't usually happen. And so to finish today, on the other hand, What is the miraculous deliverance that all of God's faithful people will have, regardless of their faith here? And we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 26. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But... If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. 
then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Thursday, January 23, The Secret of Such a Faith As we reflect on the experience of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we may ask ourselves, what is the secret of so strong a faith? How could they have been willing to burn alive rather than worship the image? Think about all the ways that they could have rationalised bowing in submission to the orders of the king. And yet, despite realising that they could have died, as so many others had done, they nevertheless stood firm. Question. Read Hebrews chapter 11. What does it teach us about what faith is? Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised." Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. 
These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel, and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens." Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In order to develop such a faith, we need to understand what faith is. Some people have a quantitative perception of faith. They measure their faith by the answers they seem to receive from God. They go to the shopping mall and they pray for a parking space. 
If they happen to get a space upon arrival, they conclude that they have strong faith. If all the slots are filled, they may think their faith is not strong enough for God to listen to their prayers. This understanding of faith becomes dangerous because it attempts to manipulate God and does not reckon with God's sovereignty and wisdom. Indeed, true faith, as manifested by Daniel's friends, is measured by the quality of our relationship with God and its resulting absolute confidence in God. Authentic faith does not seek to bend God's will to conform to our will. Rather, it surrenders our will to the will of God. As we saw, the three Hebrew men did not know exactly what God had in store for them when they decided to challenge the king and to remain faithful to God. They decided to do the right thing despite the consequences. This is what really characterizes a mature faith. We show real faith when we pray to the Lord for what we want, but trust Him to do what's best for us even if at the time we don't understand what is happening or why. And so to finish today, what are ways we can exercise faith day by day, even in little things that can help our faith grow and be ready for greater challenges over time? Why, in many ways, are the tests over the little things the most important ones? Friday, January 24. Important are the lessons to be learned from the experience of the Hebrew youth on the plain of Dura, writes Ellen White in Prophets and Kings, page 512 to 513. In this our day, many of God's servants, though innocent of wrongdoing, will be given over to suffer humiliation and abuse at the hands of those who, inspired by Satan, are filled with envy and religious bigotry. Especially will the wrath of man be aroused against those who hallow the Sabbath of the fourth commandment, and at last a universal decree will denounce these as deserving of death. The season of distress before God's people will call for a faith that will not falter. His children must make it manifest that he is the only object of their worship, and that no consideration, not even that of life itself, can induce them to make the least concession to false worship. To the loyal heart, the commands of sinful, finite men will sink into insignificance besides the word of the eternal God. Truth will be obeyed, though the result be imprisonment or exile or death. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. Read First Peter 1 verses 3 to 9. Why does God rescue some and not others from suffering? Or is the answer to questions such as this something that we just aren't going to get now? In cases in which miraculous deliverances don't occur, why do we need to trust in God's goodness despite such disappointments? First Peter 1, beginning at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved 
lived in heaven for you, who were kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 2. If this incident had ended with the death of the Hebrew men in the fiery furnace, what lessons could we take away from it still? 3. From our understanding of last day events, what will be the issue, the outward sign that will show whom we worship? What should this tell us now about how important the Sabbath really is? 4. Read Luke 16.10. How does Christ's words here help us understand what it means truly to live by faith? Luke 16 verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And 5. Read again Daniel 3.15 where Nebuchadnezzar says, Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? How would you answer that question? Daniel 3 verse 15. Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Inside Story Attacked at School by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission Stefan Avakov, born and raised in Azerbaijan's capital Baku, had his life planned out at the age of 13. He loved basketball and claimed the title of best player in his age group in Azerbaijan. You have nothing to worry about, his coach said. You will become a professional basketball player. One day, a group of students burst into the school classroom during the lesson. He's Armenian, one said, pointing to Avakov. We will kill him, snarled another. The students dragged Avakov to a square in front of the school, where an angry crowd of fellow ethnic Azeris waited. As Avakov braced himself for the worst, his captors inexplicably released their grip. An Azeri classmate appeared beside Avakov and pulled him to safety. Once away from the crowd, the two boys ran to Avakov's house, where the young rescuer left Avakov with his mother. Avakov never saw the boy again. Avakov's mother refused to allow him to return to school, and a month later, in late 1989, the family fled to Russia to save their lives. Avakov struggled to adjust to his new life in Volgodonsk, 
a city of about 175,000 people in southern Russia. He tried to play basketball, but something was broken inside him. He couldn't understand why lifelong friends had turned against him because of his ethnicity. His heart searched for answers. One day at school, the history teacher announced that she had invited a guest to speak about biblical history. The guest teacher stood up and spoke about the prophecy of the image in Daniel 2. Avakov listened with deep interest. He had never thought about God, and for the first time in his life, he considered the existence of God who rules over the earth. He wondered whether God knew his future. After the class, Avakov approached the guest speaker with many questions. The woman shook her head. My husband, who is a pastor, will be at the school in two weeks, she said. He can answer your questions. Two weeks later, Pastor Venomen Tarasuk taught the history lesson. He proposed four questions that every student should answer. Who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I here? What will happen after me? The questions shocked Avakov. He never considered them. If a person can answer these four questions, he will have all the answers for life, the pastor said. God can answer these questions. Avakov went home, determined to find God and answers to the four questions. He found them when he was baptised a few years later. I lost peace when I had to flee Baku, said Avakov, pictured. I have looked for peace all my life, until my baptism. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, Christian Record Services for the Blind, the Sabbath School Department and Hope Channel. You can also listen on the official Sabbath School 4 app and the Apple iTunes app, Sabbath School with Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.